Today on the podcast, we are down in a place called Pottsville, that's in northern New South Wales, and we're with Mr. Ben Devlin. He has a fantastic story, and in fact, this would be one of my favourite podcasts we did. We really, really got to know Ben, his techniques, and some of the stuff that really makes him tick. This is going to be hugely beneficial to everyone, so sit back, relax, and enjoy. Okay. Mr. Dan, Dan, uh, Mr. Ben Devlin, how are you? Really good. Thing. How are you? <laughs> Thank you for having us down over the border into lovely New South Wales at your amazing restaurant, Pippet. Um, yeah, we've been chatting a little bit before the podcast, but um, I really wanted to just uh, catch up. I mean, what this podcast is about is trying to add value to you know to the listeners and to young people coming through. And you've got a really inspiring story. And uh, we met um, probably. How long ago was it? Probably. I was thinking before. It's probably like seven or eight years ago. I would say. Yeah. Not. I know it's not ten. Well, maybe maybe seven odd years ago at Esquire. Yeah. 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 You were there working with Mr. Ryan, and um, I did a lot of work with you, and I was actually quite privileged, and um, you know, it was, it was a big deal at the at the time. You guys were. You know, probably the best restaurant in town and three hats and all sorts of things. So yeah, we got pretty lucky there. Um, we were quite fortunate to be able to get, yeah, you got us some really nice stuff. Yeah. And that was that was the thing. It was really hard for us to get you know, our hands in the produce there. So yeah, yeah. we were really lucky with that. Yeah. Well, thank you. And um, yeah, it was a real pr- privilege to work with with you both. And I, I, but I have to say, I did definitely like working with you more than Ryan. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, that's okay. Um, but so, where where do we go from there? You, um, you. I want to go back into your story about working with Noma and everything. But um, you've ended up here at this beautiful pippet, which you've done done yourself, and you've you've got this amazing wife and you've had a baby um you know tell us what's going on right now for you uh well right right now um we'll start with today itself sorry today we're closed it's the day before our week starts so today is making sourdough day start a batch of cheese um there'll be a lot of fish will come in today that'll get cleaned and ready to go ready to age for the week um so today is get ready to start the week. Um, so at the moment we're doing four days a week uh, and set menus only, try and make the business kind of run at its most efficient level, uh, which is challenging, uh, but it seems to be working reasonably well. People seem happy with it. And it means we can provide hopefully good value for money. Um, and also, you know, as much as we can, you know, give a really great experience with kind of a smaller staff and, you know, a smaller budget, I suppose. Um, and and I, I guess you have to do that too. Yeah, uh, it's a good one. It's interesting, like, you know, early on in the year before we sort of shut down, we weren't in a bad position, but we were certainly looking at what we were doing and looking at our costs, specifically staff cost. We were looking at what it was costing us to do what we wanted to do um, and to operate in the way that we wanted to operate and sort of thinking that it wasn't going to be sustainable. It just wasn't going to balance out, um, and so you know we knew we needed to make a change, and then obviously we get you know forced into a closure, and then we find ourselves in a position where we need to figure out the best way to reopen um, and the best way to operate. And what we've done since then is yeah, kind of minimise hours for staff, try and minimise costs, drop out some of the things that weren't working so well, and yeah, try to work in the most efficient manner possible. So. 
that does mean giving people less choice, not having an a la carte menu, but I guess from our end it feels like we can offer more um, for what they're paying and hopefully by then still leave them feeling satisfied, uh, still leave them feeling like they're getting you know, enough variety and, and that sort of thing, but also just, I guess, they're benefiting us by letting us do a more focused menu. So yeah, it's, um, it's a challenging game, but it's working out okay at the moment, which is good. And so yeah, we, we found ourselves on a path at the moment that if we can continue it is hopefully good for the longevity of the business, I guess. I think with your knowledge, I think people, for me and a lot of the friends that I talk to, we, we almost want to go to a restaurant and just be just told what to have to a degree. There's probably a lot of people who don't, but for me, I, I just love to come here and I want to, I want to eat what Ben Devlin wants to cook because you've had this amazing experience. How, who am I to even choose something, really? I mean, I'd much rather have what you think we should have. It is an interesting one. I, I, I really like that kind of experience as well when I, when I go to a restaurant. Um, I'm more likely to choose <clears throat> a, a set menu than, than to want to choose, you know, off, off the menu. But I know that it's not for everyone. Um, and I know that, because it's this funny thing, like I remember at Esquire, I guess I'd worked with set menus before working at Esquire, but I hadn't really been a part of um, engineering them, I guess, or, you know, trying to make sure that they were running in the most efficient manner and choosing the length and the cost and that sort of thing. So I remember at Esquire, we were sort of talking about it and how it was working. And it, it basically, it felt like it all boils down to trust basic thing is you're expecting someone to trust that your choices are going to be better than their choices. Um, and early on in its lifestyle, life span at Esquire, some people might have recognized Ryan um, from you know, his previous roles or had, might have heard of the restaurant and they typically felt pretty happy, usually speaking, to, to allow him to choose. But I know that some people, they just didn't know you. They'd heard the restaurant was good. It was, you know, maybe you should come here. But they don't know you, so they don't necessarily trust you. And that's where it became a little bit challenging. You feel a bit of, like, pushback against it. You know, they didn't feel comfortable. And so, you know, from our end, it's just about, yeah, trying to generate that trust, whether it be by reputation or just by, you know, interpersonal communication, saying, you know, feel comfortable. You're going to get, hopefully, things that you like, maybe things that you don't know, but that'll hopefully be all okay. We are, you know, making a, a promise to you that you'll get value and that you'll hopefully feel good about it. And then we're asking you to trust us in return. So it's, some people that trust comes naturally because they're maybe just curious. For some people, they're very specific about what they like. <laughs> and as a consequence of that, they don't believe that you will give it to them. Um, and that's, that is understandable, but it is makes it challenging, I guess. So, yeah, it's funny. With uh, this change of our environment, um, COVID and whatever, um, you know, generally in some sort of crisis, like you, you've changed the way that the menu's laid out and you've changed the way that, um, you know, you're offering uh, the set menu and stuff. Do you think that um, the food itself will change? Like sometimes in crises and wars and, you know, how awful dishes would have been invented, you know, when, when things are not as available... We, we were still getting most of our food, I, I, I assume, but is there any, like, some sort of involvement of the food in this process as well? We certainly have access to just about everything that we've always had access to, which is really good. Um, and that's, you know, allows us to work in much the same way we always had. I guess from us, we're probably 
buying, or we're definitely rather, buying less things because we're not just buying a whole other car menu. Um, so we have less varieties of things, particularly say with seafood, where we might have before been buying, say, you know, some fish for a raw dish, maybe some fish for a cooked entree, probably some fish for a set menu main course, and then potentially something like swordfish for a larger, you know, individual or sharing dish. Now it's very specific, it is we've got a main course that's got croaker, and that's what we've been using for a couple of weeks now. Um, we get it from the farm every week and it's beautiful. And then we might have something like raised brim or yellowfin tuna on a raw dish. Um, and that's kind of it. You know, I think we have, we have bay lobster as well, the, the more bay bugs. And that's kind of it. So we have less varieties of things, that obviously for us is a cost thing, but it also means that there needs to be a more creative uses of those things. Because if you want you know, to be adding on canapes and changing dishes, you need to really drill into what those items are and get more out of them. So like say, Bay Lobster, we've started making Bataga out of the, um, the, the row that's inside, the, um, the coral sacks, which is really nice. Um, out of say, the Groper, we're uh, making like an exo sauce out of the stomachs and using the livers. I'm actually using the Groper before we clean them to make Otaku prints, like Japanese fish prints. Which, yes, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, I've got some frames coming so I can hang something here, which is really nice. Uh, and then, you know, just trying to find all the ways we can get the most out of it, which we were doing before, but now it becomes, I guess, more important. Because you need, you need to create variety out of a small amount of things. Do you realize that your knowledge is off the chart? Do you do you, do you understand that? I don't. Um, no, uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm not a very creative person. Generally speaking, I'm a very, very logical person. Um, and so the way I feel is in my mind, I have like a list of things, you know, like a, a list of ingredients or a list of techniques and that sort of thing. And the way that I would work is I would make logical connections between ingredients and techniques and then, you know, different flavors and that sort of thing. So some like, it, it, for me, it boils down to going, you've got um, like a fat is a, is a fat. It doesn't really matter if it's butter or duck fat or oil or whatever it is, it's fat. And then, you know, water is a water. It doesn't matter if it's your fruit juice or coffee or water or whatever. So it's still, it is what it is. Protein is protein, that sort of thing. So that way, then look at it and go, I've used um, this fat, say butter, to make, you know, brioche, which means I could also use this fat, say grover fat, to make brioche. It would work, it's still fat. You probably have to play around with it a little bit, you can make it work. So, same thing within doing dishes, you go, this flavor works with this thing. Um, something else that reminds me of that flavor would then probably also work with that thing, and you can just kind of twist the things around, and it's like, it's like working a Rubik's cube. So you've got some chocolate wheels out the back with all the waters and all the <laughs> fat, and you just spin them, in, in and hopefully, yeah. <laughs> yes, that men mentally running through, uh, turning turning lists in your head, um, yeah, which is uh, when it works for me. It's the yeah. way that I work, but it's quite funny because I look at sometimes what a lot of other people do, or like say you're working with Ryan, and there's things that so I'll make logical connections that are logical to me, but might not be to everyone. Whereas sometimes it feels like with someone like Ryan or with, you know, other chefs I see create dishes, it 
feels like they just make these wild creative things that just I don't I don't see the logical pathways to. Mm. Maybe in their head they do. Maybe they're working the same way that I am. But it, to me, it feels like they're just more unbound and they're more creative. And I don't really feel that. I, 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 I tend to agree with you there and I've, I've been to lots of places where I've just gone that just can't work it doesn't make any, any, any sense from any of those natural sort of connections that you're yeah. talking about so um, but just as a general base as well like you're, you're I think you know we're all into food the people that probably come here but we know a little bit about food we all know something but you know generally from my understanding of you and watching you over the years you do have a, a respect in the industry to have this this knowledge that is off the chart like i said before and there isn't very many people who are like it and uh, and uh no, no there is it like there literally be half a dozen people who have what i consider the knowledge that you have and um uh you know in, in sort of southeast queensland there's a few more down you know uh, yeah. down in victoria and stuff but um yeah, so it's a real privilege to have you in this little town, Pottsville, and the people must be very, very lucky. And maybe they don't even know that, but uh, I would definitely come here and trust you implicitly to uh, provide me with whatever you thought was the best for this week and that I, I would also want it to benefit you financially and, and be fair and equitable, but, you know, there's a, a beautiful exchange and hopefully I'd leave you happy. So I guess a lot of that would have come. So tell me about where did this come from? Obviously, you, you got some motivation to go work in Noma a long time ago, like before people even knew what Noma was. And I have to, before I forget, I want to say thank you for introducing me to Noma oh, because yeah. for, without you, we would not have supplied them in the way that we did. So, yeah, yeah. So that was you rang me saying, hey, I've got someone to meet. I can't even tell you who it is. Yeah. And at the time, there was like, Weird people. I'm not weird, but Jamie Oliver was in Australia. There was all these weird people. I'm thinking, who does Ben know that he would like to introduce me to? And uh, then you came down, and sure enough, it was the guys, and uh, and, and then it was us there was, picking. There was some funny people around there, wasn't there? Yeah. There was like Massimo Batura might have been in the country as well. Yeah. And there was all sorts of weird people touring. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so. Uh, yeah, and before we knew it, we were picking uh, organic green macadamia nuts from the hinterland of the Gold Coast yeah. and pushing them on an aeroplane down to them in styrofoam yeah. boxes. And yeah, no, that was so. I wanted to say thank you for that because I don't think I've ever actually said thank you for that because without your introduction, we wouldn't have uh, wouldn't have done that. It was, it was an amazing experience for all of us. Um, I I tried to get a reservation and couldn't, but then I got really lucky. They invited me for the friends and family opening, so I got to eat it there, which was really nice. Um, it was it was wild, um, yeah. And it was it was really interesting when the guys came on the, the tour beforehand because there were people that I had known for a really long time, um, and they just came and stayed at my house for a couple of days, which actually wasn't my house. It was the owners of Halcyon Houses <laughs> house that I was living in. So I had this five bedroom mansion on the beach. <laughs> of course, let my friends hang out for a few days, which is lovely. Um, and we just kind of you know went and did some stuff, which was which was really cool. Um, and yeah, it was, it was, it was a very wild time. I remember picking, um, a pig face fruit, like the beach figs for them to then like air freight down. So I guess they'd been using them as part of a dish and they only wanted those particular fruits for like, you know, a couple of plates a night maybe just for, you know, their most VIP of guests and the season was running out. Oh, do you have any up there? Like, yeah, I mean, I've seen some. Like, you just pick like a box and send them down. I'm like, yes, seems a bit of a weird thing to do, but sure. Like, pack them with super duper's for ice packs. We didn't have any other ice packs. And air freight down <laughs> each fix, which just seemed odd in every facet. It doesn't bother me. Like, 
want them, I can do it. But yeah, it's very, very weird. But, you know, again, a lot of fun. It was really interesting to have it all there, you know, to see it. It was weird for me being in that room because I was being a guest and, you know, I couldn't, where I was sitting, I couldn't really see the kitchen so much, but I could hear it. And it was like those little triggering sounds of, you know, someone, you know, like say Renee calling for something or the city can hear like the tension rising in his voice or, you know, someone else, like a sous chef, same kind of thing. It was like, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's not making me feel relaxed right now. I remember going there. And it was actually a funny sort of shape. It was sort of two restaurants, wasn't it? Uh, it was two now, but uh, and uh, it was a uh, it was a full on sort of place. And I, I felt like I was there like just a couple of days before like the opening, yeah. and it felt um, to me a little bit like things we weren't quite sure on what we were doing yet. And um, there's uh, always that tension. Yeah, yeah. Saying, no, it's um, he knows he knows what the end result is. Um, and he knows that it's achievable because he's achieved it. He's made that ditch. But, you know, upscaling it and, you know, distributing the jobs to different people changes things. Um, and so he feels that tension of making sure that it's going to work in the same way. Like if you watch the, there's like an SBS documentary about putting it all together and there's this moment where they're starting one of the friends and family services and there's like an SPS film crew there and for the macadamia dish they're slicing them thinly but not too thinly I guess and stacking them up there's a moment where basically they've got you know half the dining room sat down they're building all these plates there's one or two people slicing the macadamias and then other people started to build them and I don't know maybe he was looking at something else and then he comes over and looks at what they're doing he starts like feeling some of the macadamias that have been sliced and they're too thick. And he's like, no, this is too thick, this is too thick. He pushes that one away and this one's too thick as well. It makes it you know, a bit frustrating. Um, and like the too thick is like, you know, a millimeter or more, you know, very small amount, but it's it's not quite right. Um, and, you know, he gets frustrated. He's just like, get rid of them all, start from scratch, this, this scrap. And you can, to see that all the people that were building it felt like what they were doing was correct. And the person slicing it felt like what he was doing was correct, but it was just like slightly off. Um, and those are the really small details that he cares just infinitely about. It's obviously what makes it quite so special. Um, and it's hard to communicate those effectively. You couldn't you know, tell someone it's too thick, but you can tell them how thick to slice it, but until they're really doing it and they've done it half a dozen times, they might not quite get exactly what you're after. Um, and so, yeah, there's always that kind of little bit of tension in the air of just making sure that you're getting it exactly right. That was, that wasn't necessarily, I mean, it might be exacerbated by the lead up to an opening, but in fairness, that's pretty common. <laughs> just for, across the board for running, I suppose. I remember that dish, that was a snapper dish, wasn't it? It was a green macadamia nut, and it was actually, it was like snapper that had been blended almost and then put into like a cryovac type bag and then that jelly-like substance that comes off to it was the liquid and it was with some other oil as well. I can't remember, to be honest. I just remember the macadamia. <laughs> I remember picking them. <laughs> I remember picking them. Because <laughs> no one would get them. Green macadamia nuts, like, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, so you were young, but you were living in Byron, you were surfing probably more than once a week and... Um, well, yeah, so I grew up in Byron. Yeah. Um, and 
I went to high school in Mullum. I actually went to high school, I think I was I'm a year or maybe two years old with Louis Tickram. Oh, yeah. We both went to the same high school. Yeah. Which I didn't realize at the time, but I, I, I met him before he moved overseas. And I just moved back from being overseas. Um, and we chatted about that because yeah, his wife went to school there as well. His older brother was the school captain of the year above me, like my sister's year. Um, moved to Brisbane kind of straight out of high school because I wanted to finish my apprenticeship. Um, I was there for a bit. I worked at, at Remain for a while and Lat 27 when it was, that's where I did my apprenticeship and restaurant too. Um, and then when that, so when Urbane shut down for renovations, when I went overseas. So I had a friend that had worked at Noma um, just as a, a stagiaire, just for a couple of months. Um, he was in London and he very much liked London. I didn't like the idea of London because it just sounded painful. <laughs> it, sounded, it sounded like a not so enjoyable life, generally speaking. And I, I wanted to be at least somewhat happy. So hadn't really heard much of Nomark, didn't really think much about Denmark, hadn't really heard of it. You know, I knew it existed, but I didn't know anything about it. But I, I guess I was told that the kitchen would operate in English. Just about everyone in Denmark speaks English. Um, but obviously it's Danish and you know it's it's nice it's, you know it's, it's a beautiful place makes really nice food so I just I set my target on that I just said I you know I want to come to work for free for a few months and um, and, and see what happens and so I got accepted at the time there was probably I got there in the middle of summer like just after they came back from a summer break and there was probably maybe half a dozen or maybe ten people working for free and a team of somewhere in the region of high 20s when you included um, the research and development team as well. Um, and so I was there for two months. Uh, I'm actually an Irish citizen, so I have an EU passport. And so I, when I was there, I said, I'd really like to stay. I'd really like to work here. Um, you know, if that's at all possible, that would be great. There's nothing sort of came up at first and then a position sort of came up so they offered that to me for when I finished my, my work experience. It was a little bit awkward. It was actually my roommate's job. He, I was sleeping on his couch and he, um, he decided he wanted to do the Bakus door for Norway. So he was going to leave, but he hadn't set a date for leaving. But because they knew he wanted to leave, they just said, well, you can go now. And they gave me his job. And that was super awkward at the time, but you know, I had a job, so I was happy. Um, and, and then, yeah, I just, I stayed there for a while. Um, I didn't have any backup plans. I didn't want to go anywhere else, really. I just wanted to be there. Um, so yeah, it was a while of working for, for no money and then eventually got a paid job, which was really nice. Um, and then, yeah, just hung out for two years, which was good. Two years ago, wow. Yeah. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. It was really hard at first. When I first got there, it was summer, and the days were crazy long. There's all these things happening in parks, and you know, it's really, it was, it was really, really enjoyable. And as it slowly got into winter, so because, because I got there in summer and I worked for month for two months for free, and you got paid every month, so that means I got a paycheck before I left, and I got my tax return. So that's in you know early July, I guess. So by late July, I'm in Denmark. I then work for two months for free and then one month and then you get paid after that month. So when I left Australia, I was like, well, 
I don't really need any winter gear because it's going to be summer when I get there and then by winter I'll have a job. So I'll be able to buy something there, but it's carrying it for a couple of months, like don't worry about it. So by the time I got a paycheck, I think it was the middle of December and I was freezing. I had like <laughs> a pair of jeans and I'd wear like a pair of shorts under them and maybe one or two jumpers and a few shirts and just like, I must have looked like a homeless person just like wearing all of my clothes. I was so very cold. So the first paycheck was like, well, half of it had to go to rent straight away. And then probably, you know, about half of what was left went to buying the best quality jacket I could afford <laughs> with the money that I had left. Um, and then the rest I probably just drank or something stupid. Um, <laughs> but I was just so happy to have money. Like, cause yeah, it had been, you know, five months or something without seeing any money come in. And I, I'd never done that. So yeah, it was, it was a bit rough at first. And yeah, the first winter was like, hard, super hard. It was going to work when it was still dark, leaving work when it was dark, not seeing any sunlight. And then on the few days off, you'd be so tired, you'd sleep all through the sunny part of the day because it was only a few hours anyway. Um, and I felt just super depressed. It was really, really hard. Um, and then the first day of spring rolled around after that and it was like the happiest day of my life. Like I had this Sunday um, where I was off and I guess I managed to get up earlier than normal and I went outside and it was sunny and there was like people in the, the little um, uh, terrace area near where I lived, you know, just sitting outside eating and drinking and I went for a bike ride and I saw some friends and it was just like, I didn't remember ever feeling that happy. And it was just because it was a nice day, nothing really special about it, just sun on my skin, and <laughs> just a nice day. So yeah, it was, it was a bit rough there at first. Yeah. So yeah, I adjusted to that over time, and, yeah. and you know that, that was a bit better. I made a conscious effort to exercise and to actually see sunlight in winter and try and make sure my life was a little more balanced. Yeah, but yeah. I didn't realize how dark I'd got. So. Wow. You're mad to go to that botanical garden where it's lovely and yeah. warm in that, that place. It's got like a mango tree and then the botanical gardens there, they've got that glass I atrium know, thing. That. Yeah. Just really drinking and sleeping. So you must have learnt lots of um, lots of techniques and just blow your mind stuff. There was a bit. I mean, it was, it was reasonably technical food, but I think the good thing about it was it was not so... Um, technique driven like some of like a bully it was a lot of taking very good care of very nice things and then learning fermenting techniques and things like that so um, you know there's a few um, methods of making sauces and things like that that I still use today like, um, you know, just, I guess emulsifying things in different ways um, and then you know recipes for things like you know, ice creams and sweet things that I still use today which is good um, but mostly it was just I guess I wasn't thinking about things in a very good fashion before that. It was changing the way that you thought about ingredients, um, and how you paired ingredients together, um, and then how you thought about you know extending the season through fermenting and, and um, yeah, it was a lot more of things like that. And then also just paying better attention to what was happening around me, yeah. um, which I guess I didn't feel like I was doing very well before that. You know, things like yeah, foraging or. Um, just actually paying more attention to you know, local farms. And it was, the really interesting thing was you thought about the whole process. You thought about what is the product and how is it grown, how is it picked, how is it transported to you, how do you store it, how do you serve it, and then how does the guest receive it. Um, I guess I never really thought about that. 
by looking at the whole process, you can see you can see more about it. You get a better view, and so you can often find things. You can find different things to connect it to, whether it be I didn't realize, you know, for example, that this apple farm was also had bees because you know they needed the bees for part of the pollination. I also didn't realize that they needed at least two different kinds of apple because you needed different apples to pollinate different trees. And that in theory, they were saying something like the seeds inside an apple were more likely to be the seeds from the other variety than they were of that apple because of the cross pollination, which sounded very odd. And I couldn't, no one's ever actually backed me up on that, so maybe it was a mistranslation, but the impression seemed to be that this tree was pollinating this tree, and so as a result, you'd get, uh, say, a discovery apple from this tree, but the seed inside would actually be a cox pippin from the other tree right. because of the pollination. I was like, wow, that's crazy. But so finding out more pieces of information like that allowed you to make more connections, you know, what was growing on the ground around it, um, what is it, you know, what does the fish eat, that sort of thing. Yeah, there's nothing like taking a bunch of chefs to a farm and they're off picking the weeds for you. I can imagine. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> which happens. Information for <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But, um, yeah, they end up wanting the thing. And Nick Blake was the one for that. He, uh, yeah. He's a classic for uh, just going off into the woods. And yeah. never... well, the guys at, like, Rocky Point Aquaculture say the same thing. Like, every time they bring chefs to the fish farm, they're like, oh, this is horrible green over here. Yeah. And it's, oh, look at all this stuff. Like, it's like... They're not even looking at the fish, you know, ponds. They're picking herbs at the site. Um, but it would, it allows you to find other ways to connect with the product, to you know, figure out ways to age it, to improve it, or just to things that you can you know, pair with. So that, I guess, changed the way I looked at the whole process. And that, that's one of the things that I took from the most was, I think I was looking at things. You know, a lot of the time we might have been looking to like Spain or Italy for cool things. Um, we were looking at what a finished dish was and then doing another version of that dish yeah, okay. without understanding why that dish existed in the first place. You know, we weren't understanding the ingredients, we were understanding what we could do to the ingredients. Yeah. And that was the big thing. Wow, that's summed it up very nicely. What about uh, the extension of that, like the the plates and the and the tiles and the and the lighting and the and the ambient? Now you've got your own place, did yeah. you know where you're able to go? Oh, I finally wanted to do this. I'm sure you've done lots of things with the, the places you work, but was there something that you did here that was like, hey, this is something I've been wanting to do forever, but I wanted to save it for me? There, there is. Um, I guess everything for here is like this logical extension of the knowledge that you've had going forward, um, and so. Some of it was just looking at it going, you know, it's, it's using that same uh, method of thinking, saying, you know, everything needs to have a reason, everything needs to exist in this room for a purpose, some purpose, and maybe that purpose is, you know, superfluous, it's just like, you know, skin deep, but maybe it really means something. Um, but at the very least, you need to think about it, you know, because if you're just putting things in without thinking about them at all, then, you know, what's the point? So. Maybe it's you know it's as simple as so. So see like there's a Banksia cones. Mm. They look nice enough. And they've got a little grass thing sticking out of them. They also have um, oils in. Them. In theory, that's the first line of defense against flies. There's citronella oil in there and lemongrass oil to try and ah, use that? natural fly repellent. Wow, wow. Um, so there's those. Then you know there's the textures and the colors of the things that we've used. 
uh, with regards to the um, fit out was we took a like a drone photo of Hastings Point, which is just up the road, and then we used one of those um, color. Um, it's okay. It's like a Photoshop tool where you would extract colors out of things. So you go, you know, for example, the the rock was number yeah. five hundred and three black brown, and the, the water yeah. was you know, whatever. So then we, we pull out the colors that we wanted specifically from that image, and that became our color palette. So it was like saying, when you think about like a coastal restaurant, is often a very typical look. It's kind of white and blue and some grays and a kind of Mediterranean feel, which is like beautiful, really beautiful. But I guess what we wanted was a restaurant that represented the coast. So there's, you know, sandy render, there's rock colored um, tiles, there's ocean colored tiles, um, you know, there's um, timber colored. Um, but it was <laughs> that woody wood yeah, that stuff really wood um, but it was you know doing those things to try and make it feel like the area make it feel warm and welcoming you know the nice yeah the, the render is nice and kind of you know warm feeling you know the um, the kind of the bunkette seat kind of leather look is yeah again you know, nice and warm and comforting yeah it is it's, it's 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 lovely from the outside. Then you walk inside; it's like a another range of of, of stunningness. So, well really done. Fortunate. And then you know, it's things like the timber detail to try and diffuse sound and um, make sure there's hooks under the counters for people to hang bags. Yeah, did notice that. The little things that you know will hopefully make the experience better for people. Like yeah. The lighting is it's a little, it's unfortunately a little different now because we've had to change the table layouts due to COVID. But the lighting's the light fittings were all put in place to try and create this sort of like dome of individual light over a table. So I remember having this experience at restaurants, had a Noma actually, where there was a big candle in the middle of the table, and I guess it was a down light above your table, and it made it feel like you can see what's inside your bubble of light. You can see what's outside of it as well, but because of the way that it's lit, it almost feels like you've got your own little bubble, your own little room. And so you and your dining companions have your space. Other people just visit your space to drop off food. Um, so you don't so need your, your phone to see the menu? That is the hope. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but then again, we also went to the same thing and say, right, well, you know, we want to get local ingredients on, on the menu, so why should it be different with fit-out? You know, we use local construction company. Um, you know, we can, me and my dad did a lot of the work ourselves. Had the light fittings were hand blown in Plates are made about four doors down that way. Um, joinery was done by a guy in Brisbane who did a like, really beautiful job. Um, yeah, stuff you got it. I think it's some work for Gage as well. Um, yeah. Blackwood Collective. Yeah. Really beautiful stuff. And then, yeah, me and Dad made these tables and we did that banquet seat. I did all the rendering, I did the tiling, I did the painting. Built the, built the cool room, try and keep everything, you know, as personal as possible. Um, and, you know, try and connect with our community as much as possible to, to fill the space because we want them to feel attached to it as well. You know, I hear these words a lot and I, it, you really, that's, I know you're doing it for real, but I hear a lot of people say similar things and I, and I don't feel it. I, I really do feel it here. And, um, 
I think something you said before about you knew what the finished dish was and, and you knew, you know, that you could sort of get to that without understanding it at all. Uh, I think that that's the same with even like decors and, and lots of people that, that not doing it. I think you're really just, you're doing it. It's hard with the fit out. It's this interesting thing like, um, so my, my wife works in design and sort of experience design. Um, at the moment she does graphic design. Um, and she was uh, so important in getting this across the line. I mean, aside from the fact that she has really good project management skills, um, and, you know, she's done all about marketing, PR, and all that stuff. By doing the work that she's done, I guess, she has this really good ability to extract information from you. So you might want, I'm not sure, like, say, if you've ever you know, done renovations or, you know, even in the way your business operates, when you make something, you might have this feeling of what it is, this feeling of what you want it to be, it's hard to articulate it. Like, you know, I could say things like, I want it to be kind of coastal, I want it to be warm and welcoming, you know, I want it to be engaging as part of the community. You might not actually know how to do that. Mm. Um, I certainly did not. Um, the work that she does, she will then, you know, go, she can ask the right kinds of questions, you know, like, you know, you want it to be warm and welcoming, what does that actually mean to you? Maybe the lighting thing and the texture on the walls and the colors, it's like, okay, well, Specifically, what are those things? And write them down, and, and they might be wrong, but at least when you've written it down, you go, ah, well, that's actually similar to this other thing that'll work really well. Um, so, without having someone like her, I think someone like me would have never got me. It would have struggled tremendously. I remember talking to Pat Nurse, who was a girl I travel once, about Halcyon House. He was saying, you know, it's really, really beautiful dining room they've got in there. I said, yeah, it is actually really beautiful. I I wouldn't have done it that way because, you know, I, I don't, that sort of style, I never really thought it was for me, but um, it's actually come out really well. I think it's really stunning. And he said, yeah, I mean, um, you're a chef. Have you seen restaurants designed by chefs? They're modern industrial. They're mm. modern. Concrete, <laughs> concrete, marble and gray, and that's it. It's just all clean cut industrial. Yeah, I probably would have done that. Yeah, yeah, It would have been just simple, clean lines, not much color, like sleep and that. Um, and that's not bad per se. Obviously, it can look really striking and really beautiful, but it's kind of cold, um, you know, and it's you know, a little boring at times. So yeah, it was really important having someone like Yang to be able to help us get this to be, you know, what it wants to be. Because yeah. I think a lot of people will say a lot of words like you know, community engagement, but not actually know what that really means. They kind of wait for the community to engage with them. Mm. The reality is you actually have to go out there and do it. Yeah. Um, you, know, you might want to go somewhere like uh, Cornersmith that's like bartering uh, fruit and veg with people, like you know, bring me a box of lemons from your backyard, we'll preserve them, we'll give you some jam or something like that. And everyone's like, oh, that's the coolest thing, I want to do that sit here and wait for people to bring the box of lemons. Like, <laughs> no, you have to you've got to go out and make these connections yeah. with the community and then you have community engagement because if you just sit here they will not engage with you. They, they don't know you, they don't care. Yeah. So yeah, it's um, was that hard for you? Because, you know, like, you come across initially to a lot of people as Very shy, introvert. introvert. Yeah. yeah, like, yes. people actually, I told, I told a few people I'm doing it, he goes, oh, you're going to be a hard podcast. And I tell you, well, this has been one of the most pleasurable ones oh. we've, we've done. No, I'm, I'm extremely shy, very introverted. Um, so, yeah, that's quite challenging. 
when, when I was working in MoMA, I remember getting told off quite distinctly for basically not having enough personality and just being, I, I, I must have just looked like I was angry. It looked like I was upset. I was taking food out to guests and I was just pulled aside. I know this look just for the record. Yeah, no, I'm sure. <laughs> Resting asshole face as it appears. Um, and it was just kind of like, I just pulled aside and said, you need to fix this shit because you look like an asshole and I'm not interested in that. And it was kind of like someone saying, fucking smile more than prick. Like, mm. I was like, well, I'm not gonna smile now, just yell at me. <laughs> um, but to be honest, for me, like as someone that's not always that comfortable talking to people, uh, certainly not comfortable making new connections, the only way I could really do that was to pretend I was someone else. Um, and I have a lot of respect for my cousin, my cousins um, that work for one of my cousins runs the fig tree in Byron. Yeah. Um, and they've all worked there. They're all, you know, grown up in the restaurant, um, spent a lot of time, you know, dealing with guests and working with people and, you know, I guess learning those interpersonal skills. Um, the one who's running it now is probably the one that I've had the most professional contact with. But so even back when I was working in Loma and I hadn't actually, I'd only really worked in their restaurant a little bit. But all I could do was think of how I've seen them communicate with guests. And it was basically like saying, I am the worst possible Devlin. I need to be one of the better Devlins. <laughs> I, need to, I need to be that guy. I need to be the one that is just charming and affable and you know, cracks a joke, and just has a big smile on his face and just goes, right, I'm still working hard. You know, I'm still focused. I'm like, I get out there, I can make these people happy and I'm gonna really get into it. And it was just, it's just acting. Just so I still do that, you know. It's very much like I have a like a home voice and a professional voice, mm. or like a phone voice, and, and it's taxing to be honest mm. because you know that. Have you seen my videos? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the only way you can do it is by being you know 120 percent yourself. Yeah, yeah. And um, I find it really difficult, and I, you know, I still struggle with it. I know that probably from guest feedback, there are people that still see me in the kitchen here and just think that guy looks like an asshole. Have you ever told anyone to get fucked? No, well, not recently, no. <laughs> <laughs> Never to a guest. Um, to people in the kitchen every now and again, not for a while. Um, you know, I feel like I'm hopefully trying to be very friendly and hopefully making sure people feel welcome, but we've, we've gotten feedback from people that say, Ben looks like he fucking hates his life and <laughs> doesn't appreciate any of these guests and we're never coming back because he looks like an asshole. And like, we've literally got messages like that. I've gotten them sent to me on my personal social media. If you can imagine sitting at home on a Sunday night after a hard week and having someone just send you five or six messages in a row saying that you're just the worst human being they've ever met and then never coming back to your business when you have not actually communicated to them at all, yeah. it's like, that's a bit rough. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Yeah. Like, Appreciate the honest feedback, yeah, and I'll grow from this. But it's nine o'clock on a Sunday night, and I'm with my family, and this is a bit shit. To yeah, be honest. Um, yeah. So it's still, I know that you know mentally, I still have a long way to go um, to be as strong as I could be, and you know I, I feel a lot of anxiety um, and a lot of you know kind of not depression. I'm not depressed, but. I feel mentally very taxed a lot of the time because I spend a lot of my time trying to be greater than I am, you know, and, and more personable than I am. And that's, 
yeah, it wears you down. I don't know about greater than you are. I think that you're you're very great and you're an amazing person. And, you know, just being able to show that Thanks might so be the much. thing. <laughs> you know, it might be there. Has having a beautiful baby changed that for you? Made any of that easier? Um, it again, it made. I remember before she was born, I had um, <laughs> I hadn't exercised in probably a few years because work was tough. Um, and I remember looking at it going. I remember seeing like a dad running or what I assumed was a father and daughter running. I was like, I actually need that relationship. I need that to happen. I need to get in early on this. Um, I need to do some exercise. I need to be, I need to be better. Um, And and that's, you know, it worked a little bit. Um, So yeah, definitely it has made me realize that, you know, I mean, training staff as well has had a similar thing. It makes it more pointed now because I'm, thinking about my entire life. Um, I remember being at Esquire once and um, I used to get angry and punch the wall and punch the fridge if I was frustrated. I didn't want to take it out on people I was around. I'd be angry at myself and I would punch them. Feel better? Yeah. Usually, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I have punched, yeah. a, wall, I have yeah. punched yeah. a hole in our door once, yeah. very big hole, but yeah, but then after it, that was a big hole, yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I, I had to say, that doing some physical expression, it, I didn't want to hurt yeah. anyone, but it, I did something. It, it, it yelled or whatever, yeah. Then I remember one night, um, there was a guy on pastry who he was struggling. Um, he was getting very busy. And I went over there to help him, and I sort of, things were wrong. I was like, no, this is wrong, this is wrong. We need to get rid of those, start with scratch, let's go. And I saw him get angry and punch the wall, and, and I watched him do what I did. I watched him behave in the way that I behaved. He wasn't being a dick to us. He was still working, but I saw how counterproductive it was. I watched him do exactly as I had done and achieve not a damn thing. And it was not helping us get these plates out. And so at that point, I was just like, he is mirroring my behavior and he's, it's not helping him, it's not helping me. So this needs to stop straight away and I don't think I've done it since then which is fortunate um, and it was just that knowledge at that point just like you know when you're training someone obviously you want them to take on the information you're giving you but it was also just that reminder of like they're not just taking on the information that you're giving them they're taking on all the information you're projecting everything about you the way you say it the way you act when you do it all of it they can see it and some of them are smart enough to ignore your flaws some of them just take them in subconsciously and you need to think about that. And so there was that for training staff, but then you could go home and be whatever horrible person you wanted to be because, you know, they weren't there anymore. And so then it was that realisation of like, yeah, I mean, everything has to be better. You know, you, you, Yen, Yen was eating something yesterday. I can't remember what it was, it was like chips or sweet or something like that. Um, oh no, it was a pastry. We, had, we, we picked up a pastry and Penny was like wandering around the floor. She's like, oh, I don't want... She grabbed her pastry and went to the other side of the kitchen to like eat it so Penny wouldn't see it because Penny would just want it. And we haven't really given her any sweets. <laughs> and I was like, she just said, if I'm hiding what I'm eating from her because I don't want her to eat it, I probably shouldn't be eating it. It's like, yeah, look, that's a really good point. Um, but we should think about that, I suppose. Um, so yeah, it, it's definitely made both of us think a lot more about that. 
Unfortunately, I've not really got to the point of working less to spend more time, probably. I haven't really, I haven't really got my balance part right yet. I guess I'm sort of still working on my most behaviors. So, yes, it's tricky. Um, definitely a lot of changes, though. Yes, definitely. <laughs> a lot more thought into everything that we do to make sure that she grows up in the best way possible. I can feel just from knowing you for the time. I haven't seen you for a long time, um, but I, I can just feel a change. You look, you look, you look better. You look healthier. You know, um, in in the face in particular. You know, you seem more more at home. Um, you know, you got your own thing here, and um, you're accountable to just you and your family and your staff at the end of the day, and and, and obviously the customer. But <clears throat> I think that people are going to you know continue to come here and have crazy great experiences. Uh, for a very long time, um, you know, and the, what you're doing with food is as amazing and could be as simple as, um, you know, the most simple thing. And Noam did that great example of that actually when they made that hamburger just after COVID. Oh, they, yeah. oh my god, that just like I just I looked at that for years and yeah, I assumed yeah. that it uh, tasted amazing. So yeah. um, there's sure there's lots of great food to be had here. Um, I don't know if there's anything else we we, could, we need to touch on too much, but um, but it really is a, pro, a privileged to have you uh, as a customer of ours and someone we know and, and someone in the industry that can give back. How do can people how do people learn? How can how can you give back? Do people do stages here or what are you, what are you doing? Um, some some have, um, which has been really lovely. I guess I'm always a bit cautious on it because we're a really small team, really small budget. Um, so, you know, we often don't have, you know, much in the way of roles going on. So I'm always a bit cautious about people that uh, want to do a stage. I need to be really, I guess, forward with them and say, I have, I have zero money for you. Like, you know, I can be as generous as possible with you know everything that we have. The thing that I don't have is, is money, unfortunately. So I can't pay. Um, but people have done, and that's been really nice. Um, but you did that. You will learn from yeah. you know, and and I, I know that they're not here for the money either. Oh, you it's, know. it's it's it. As certainly as a business owner, you start to feel a little bit different about it. It didn't bother me. I didn't. I, I love the idea of working for free. Um, when you know when I could obviously afford to do so, it's a very privileged position to find yourself in to be able to do that. You know, say it was like going to university. It was like I'm going to make this conscious choice. I'm going to save my money. I'm going to you know, I'm going to do that thing because I'm going to learn things that I otherwise wouldn't learn. Um, yeah, it's a very privileged position to find yourself in if you can do it. On the flip side of it being a business owner, certainly the concept of people doing things that you are paying for, whether it's their choice, or especially when it's their choice, makes you feel bad. If you know, if you're asking them, then you know you would feel like the worst person in the world. So I'm very confident, very cautious about it. Don't ask people to do anything. I don't ask much of them. I just try and give them as much as I can. You know, I say, well, we're going to make this. If you want to learn how to make it, this is what we're going to do. And then it ends up being you know, some ridiculously labor-intensive job. <laughs> um, but it's you know, it's very important. It's like you know, this is what we're going to do to learn this thing. Yeah. And so to make this, this is how you, you have to. It's Mr. Miyagi stuff. Yeah. yeah. So you, you've kind of got to. You need to sacrifice time to learn that technique. Um, or, you know, we're going to go out and find this thing because, you know, it's the only way you can get it is if you're going to 
find it, and as a result of that, then we can make something. Nice. Things like, you know, getting seaweed or sand is behind me here, he found some Morton Bay chestnuts at the start of the year. Um, and we wanted to make some stuff out of them, so we went out and found some more. Um, took a little bit of time, then put a lot of labor into making um, some miso and some masa out of them. They were a bit funny because um, if you don't treat them right, they make you quite sick. So I, I ate the first thing and it was quite sick. So then we changed the way we were doing it. And um, now it's a little bit better. These things happen. I was happy, I was willing to sacrifice myself yeah. <laughs> um, rather than letting someone else do that. Um, so, yeah, it's, it is funny. I mean, it's, it feels like a very old school, potentially the wrong way to phrase it. You have to sacrifice your time or yourself to learn certain things, but it's kind of still true. Mm. You know, I mean, the information's out there and you always get paid for the work that you're doing and there's always a way to find out things. But the brutal reality is to really get a feel for stuff, to really, you know, I make cheese. I've only been doing it for a month or two now. Um, I haven't served any of its guests. Um, some of it's definitely gone and been and that's just a cost that I have to bear because I want to make it, I want it to be good, wouldn't mind serving it to guests and making some money from it, but it's going to cost me time and money as ingredients to get to that point. You know, same with the fish prints, like it cost me a lot of paper to make some prints that were worth using. Mm. First, I mean, I'm not wasting any fish, it's all fish that's used in the restaurant, but um, yeah, there was a lot of waste of paper and ink in trying to get good enough to actually show it to someone mm. or to even hang it on the wall. Mm. So, yeah, they're amazing. And I think if you don't know about that, check out your Instagram to find out a little bit more about that. Yeah, they've been good. Um, yeah, hang some in the restaurant. I've sold some to friends, which is nice. So, yeah, it's nice. And it's, you know, Yen was saying that it was fortunate. I've, I've fortunately found my retirement job. You know what I mean? Like, I can't work in the kitchen anymore. I can maybe be a full time artist or something and still make some money and work less. That was my next question is what is the future? Um, we would like to maybe start another business with our Vietnamese who we were doing during um, lockdown because that was nice. Yen's parents are Vietnamese, um, so she's you know, always been very attached to that food what she's had since she's been growing up. Um, at the moment, realistically, we're not in a position to do that, but it's the kind of thing we want to build towards, you know, try and create a bit more stability and, uh, you know, multiple revenue streams for our mm. family, get a bit of financial security. Um, but for the moment, this restaurant is just um, continuing to adjust and improve, really. Um, I work a lot. I, I run the pass, I cook the grill, I have a hand in everything, and I like that. But that will eventually need to change, so I'll need to build the restaurant in such a fashion that I can step back a little bit. Probably need to start doing that sooner, I guess. Um, it's, you know, approaching 40, so it's time to start thinking about mm. taking care of myself a bit more. Yeah. Um, but for the moment, just, I like working, I like cooking. Mm. Um, I guess I'm a bit bit uh, too detail-oriented to step away from it. So, yeah. That's right. Just get employee your daughter like I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <What about that? laughs> She's a it's bit small. 
Mate, well, thank you for being a part of the podcast. I'm not sure if there's anything you wanted to say at all. Uh, um, yeah, but I um, really appreciate having you on. It's been really inspiring, lovely to see you and lovely to talk to you. So thanks so much for uh, being a part of this. And, um, yeah, continue on being the, the person that you are and um, the amazing restaurant and offering and family man that you are. Thank you. No, I mean, yeah, thank, thank you for bringing me on. And, and yeah, for we've had a lot of support from, from you guys for, as I said, like six, seven years now. Um, Know, getting starting to get produce to you know Pape Daisy after we opened there and obviously here as well and finding things that we couldn't otherwise find. So it's it's, it's much appreciated. Yeah, Absolutely our pleasure. So is it?